Hello, testing, testing. Oh my gosh, you sound beautiful. Oh, I mean, it's me, so what do you expect? Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. Listen listen to that creaminess just coming through the headphones. Yeah, it's my wife's fault. She gave me these nice Bose uh, noise-canceling headphones with a built-in mic. Oh yeah, man, that, that built-in the mic Kung is Fu just... Group. Yeah, that's coming through nice. This is going to be... Well, I guess I don't really know, but it could be that this is actually the season one finale. Oh, yeah? Yeah, this is like episode 36 or 37. I mean, if you're if you're done and you just want to go out with a bang, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it might be. Because this, I mean, this talk is very central to the mission of the podcast, which is to make real, real weird situations in situations where the conversation sounds normal. I want to provide some context mm-hmm. for because, like, I want to talk about pirates and aliens and all that stuff. And that's that's what yeah. I'm going for. But especially since we're in, like, the grainy audio-only season one, I mean, about to, like, we can go super deep here while no one's noticing, I'm, you know? I'm a, yeah, go I'm ahead. I'm, like, back therapist chair thing here with a cup of coffee. Oh, got yeah. a fan on. Yeah. Sun's coming up, doors open, mosquito, uh, what's that thing called? I'm not awake yet. Mosquito. Screen. Mosquito screen screen is closed. (laughs) Yeah, that's Florida. Um, And I'm looking at green plants and and happiness, man. Beautiful. (laughs) Got to stare at something nice in the morning. It takes me a solid hour to wake up. Yeah. So this should be interesting. Yeah. Let me turn the volume up on my side a bit. Yeah, here, and I can... Nope, I'm good now. Cool. Excellent. So yeah, man, I uh I kinda like the idea of going in completely cold and just waking up. So I didn't even think about what I might talk about at all. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. That's exactly what's going on in your world. Well, what's going on in my world mainly, I've been focused at least for the last couple of weeks, I've been focused really, really micro because I just finished some uh computer repairs so i have my little like mobile recording like demo making rig fully fully working after a couple of years of my computer needing repairs and having software and hard hard stuff wrong with it but just like doing so much live stuff and then doing the podcast and like dude i didn't really i didn't miss it but i kind of had gotten to the point during all of the quarantine isolation that it's like okay I've got the time and space now to like make these repairs and do some recording. So I, the last few weeks I've had like a weekly regimen of I've got to get in the little, I've got to get in the RV studio. I've got to start a some kind. And by the end of the session, I've got to export something. And the reason mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, the reason I'm doing this is just to get my workflow smooth again. Cause when I was in college, I was doing this yeah. like every night I was on the computer making songs, making demos, making productions. And so it got really quickly. I could go from basic idea to having a finished MP3 in like a couple of hours. And I'm trying to get back to that. So that's the trick then um, for college. You know, I dropped out of college three times. I think it, it was the working hard part. Is that what it was? Like staying up not late at night, working on projects. That's well, what I that's, yeah, that's the key to, <laughs> to being happy at all is I, I say don't let the hardest thing you work on be school and you might be okay. 
Um, but I mean, I don't know. In a discipline like no, music, I have to funny, I guess. Say again. Uh, no, I enjoyed college. I enjoyed it. I just uh, <clears throat> well, was trying out a joke, and I realized I should have two more cups of coffee before I try that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, who's that? We got a guest. Yeah, well, we we may we may have some. Uh, transient guests as we go lunchbox and ditto are both home so oh. probably i'm, I'm positive that there will be some moments where i'm gonna need some peanut gallery quotations from them and so we'll hear from them i'm sure i'm a walnut thank you oh yeah says she's a walnut she doesn't belong in the peanut gallery mm, okay <laughs> are peanuts even nuts they're peanuts not. are like they're, roots right yeah they're they're legumes i think they're basically crunchy beans so why do people, do people who have nut allergies have, I don't know anything about nut allergies. I just, until this very moment, I just assumed that they had allergies to peanuts and walnuts. Well, so that's probably you know, not true. I can actually speak to this. This is oh. really, I can, because I have a few friends who are affected uh, and also working in the uh, school systems. I've come oh, that's true. Yeah, so, yeah. So here's you probably the... have PowerPoint presentations about like oh, what to do. Yes, yeah. yes. The pow- yes, the PowerPoint presentations are so real. Basically, people will usually say, I have a tree nut allergy. Mm, if they okay. have, if it's walnuts or something like that. Peanut allergy, I find that usually it's like its own thing. Uh, whereas oh. tree nut allergies, it's that's like a whole family of allergies. It's like if you if you so got it's a either peanuts or tree nuts, huh? Yeah, but if you got tree nut problems, then you can have. I mean, you might have stone fruit problems. You might even have problems with like. Uh, What's a stone nuts. fruit? A stone fruit is a fruit with a, a stone in the middle, a pit in the middle, like a, a nectarine <laughs> or a peach. So like an avocado. Oh. Like an avocado? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, because that's a whole different texture. I don't know how ah. family tree it is from from a peach, but ah. I want to say yes. I want to say yes, avocado. So if you have tree nuts, you might be allergic to peaches. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, I would say you might be. I would say you're not necessarily, but I have found that people who have tree nut allergies, those are the people who like also in the Venn diagram, you'll find that those are the people that have the stone fruit allergies too. Huh. That's interesting. I haven't even heard of a stone fruit allergy. You know, my dad had a uh, shellfish allergy, <clears throat> has. And whenever I was growing up, he was always talking about it because his favorite food is shrimp. And, and um, like every now and then he would just take some Benadryl and then cook some shrimp and have it because he loved it so much. But, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, he had to have non-iodized salt uh and stuff too because it was something about the iodine in the shellfish more than more than the i guess the fish themselves that are in the shells oh wow uh, yeah so uh yeah that's the only that's the only oh and i almost killed somebody one time with a, a nut allergy on accident so i had that experience oh my gosh wow well as far as, as far as you know it was an accident it could just be that you're a well, you're a <clears throat> agent of some larger mission could, really could be because i was in the military and hey, yeah and i did get a box of um chocolate chip and pecan was a chocolate chip it was at least pecan anyway cookies from my grandma mm-hmm. in the mail and uh it was the weekend and nobody was around except this one dude two stories down that i knew we were in a barracks 
So I went down there and was like, yo, I got some cookies. You want some cookies? And he was a parent. So from his side of the story, he told me that he asked me if there was any nuts in it. I don't remember him asking me if there were nuts <laughs> in it. That's the part that I don't, I don't agree with. So anyway, it's the cookies. I go back to my room. The next day, I found out he almost died and crawled over to the telephone to call the front desk to get an ambulance to come get him because he was dying because he ate one of my cookies. Wow. And I was like, holy shit, dude. I, like, I really don't think you asked me. Right. But maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. Wow. Man, a brush of death. I forgot about that. Man, see, you don't know, you don't know what you're going to come out with. We thought we were going to talk about Bitcoin, and here we are talking about nut allergies. And honestly, I like it more. Exactly. Well, see, this is what I'm talking about, man. Like, these are going to be the little grainy sound bites that it's like, oh, yeah, you know that recording intro music where it's like you hear someone tell part of a story about killing someone with nuts? You know where that comes <laughs> from? And it's like, oh, yeah, well, what you got to do is you got to go dig up season one. Audio yeah. only. You gotta go. Well, there's just that go. bite. You cut out the one part where I say, "Oh yeah," and, and then I almost killed somebody one time. Right? As yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. And just cut it completely. Like you don't know how I killed well or almost killed someone. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But this is the juice. I see. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I guess. So yeah. Well, let's move over to that universe. In the universe where you're coming on to talk about bitcoin to talk about is that what i'm coming on to talk about okay no you're you're there's many laughing we're sliding into this one there's one universe in which you've come to talk about bitcoin there's another universe in which i just ask you what are all the things that you believe that have no empirical evidence for and we have this weird we have this weird meta conversation where it's basically about philosophy and i just subtly open up the world to believing in interdimensional entities the way that I do, but just slowly. Right. Uh, but that's All right. Well, I mean, not too much. I've seen, I've, what's the, what's the show? I've seen uh, stranger things, you know, it can't be too strong. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta tiptoe in there. Exactly. Exactly. Just a little, little sprinkles. Um, but yeah, but you know, many universes are coming together in the headwaters of this talk. But yeah, so like, All right. yeah, Bitcoin universe. Um, Into the Univi. Yeah, what's the Univi? Most... Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, what's the most interesting thing you think you can say about Bitcoin? Oh, the most interesting thing. Um, right now, in this moment. Yeah, right now, in this moment. In this moment. Well, um, I don't know, man. It's basically, to, well, it's a lot of things to a lot of people, uh, which is kind of what's the most interesting thing to me, I guess, is it can, you can use as much or as little of the, the technology or the concepts or the community around the technology um, as you want, or you can just not use it at all and nobody cares. It's not, um, the coolest thing to me, I guess, is that it's no longer a trend. It's into the mainstream now and banks are buying it and the U.S. is approving it and passing legislation to regulate it so that startups know what kind of boundaries they have to operate in. You know, mm-hmm. the SEC is finally giving us a break and allowing us to do things without treating us like we're trading securities in the stock market, which we're not. I mean, we are sometimes, but not all the time. You know, it's not a blanket thing. There's caveats to, to every blanket rule. And now that's coming back around to, to kind of like 
I don't know, the community is being vindicated. And so I guess the most exciting thing about it right now is, is not about necessarily being self at all. It's just that, um, um, here's what I'll say, is that Bitcoin is basically all the values and freedoms and liberty and pursuit of happiness and capitalism and all these things that the U.S. is founded on encoded into software. And in years, the U.S. has been fighting this um, encoded constitutional values that it's supposed to uh, represent and promote and, and think is good. Democratize finance. It's democratized uh, freedom to access money and use it however you want without asking permission from anybody. Um, and until now, it's been like heavily fought against in the U.S., while the rest of the world has been running laps around us and making more advancements and integrating it into their um, national payment system and creating their own version of their nationalized like Bitcoin-style stuff. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of a struggle to get the U.S understand that we're not working against you we're trying to help you uh compete on the global stage and be fair again and uh and and politicians and lawmakers are finally understanding that and they get it and they no longer see it as as some kind of marketing scam or uh like trend or fad or whatever and people are taking it seriously so that's given me a renewed interest just to not have to struggle to, uh, you know, get people to take it seriously anymore. It's like a whole new world today where now we can focus on building stuff. Now we can focus on solutions and now we can focus on um, all the things that we're supposed to stand for instead of focusing on, hey, no, it's real. Hey, no, take it seriously. Hey, no, it's not a fad. Bitcoin's been declared dead like 130 times or something. There's this Bitcoin obituaries website that tracks all the news articles talking about, oh, Bitcoin's dead. And you got politicians trying to nip it in the bud and stuff like that. And all that's gone now. Like, not all of it, but we're in that first phase of all that finally being gone. Like, the light at the end of the tunnel is here. And so there's this huge playground available to us in the U.S. now that wasn't there even a year ago, even one year ago, it wasn't there because there was so much uncertainty in the regulations in the U.S. to where all of the people that were starting up like blockchain-based or cryptocurrency-based companies, the new innovators, the, the people that we try to promote that amass a portfolio of patents and go and make the Googles and the Microsofts and the Apples of the world, were leaving and going to other countries who wanted them because the U.S. was stifling innovation and stomping it out. So we've made a lot of progress, and I feel like this year, as terrible as it is, is setting us up to really rebuild everything with, with entrepreneurs and with startups and with peer-to-peer -peer businesses without going through centralized middlemen that do nothing but take a cut and all that's possible now all the stuff we dreamed about for years is now possible and so that's the most interesting long-winded answer that i could come up with well no that's fantastic and it kind of it synchronizes me 
to the current moment because I was kind of more just thinking is the wrong thing to think in like grand long-term scale, which is cool. But the interesting short-term thing right now is that Bitcoin is being sold to different people now than it was when we started having these conversations a year ago. A year ago, it was like, it was like the people who know about Bitcoin who are buying and selling it are the people who are like buying securities and like betting on like calls and like options and stuff like that. And it was like that community. Whereas now it's like, Hey, download this app. So they invest in, uh, you know, like an index fund, like a, what is supposed to be like a safe market investment mm-hmm. and buy cryptocurrencies. So that's a completely yeah, you can actually different market. Include I mean, a self-directed IRA or a 401k. You can actually include Bitcoin in your, in your IRA now. Yeah. So, I mean, even that kind of was in pipe dream territory when we started these talks like a year ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it was. It was all spe- It was all like, man, wouldn't it be cool if everybody just like decided to give this a shot and see how it worked? <laughs> yeah, totally. And we were at the wouldn't it be cool moment, but now it kind of really feels like and yeah, it feels an real, finally. Yeah, an inevitable kind of... Because, like, what does it mean if the average mom and pop with their 401k or whatever is thinking about Bitcoin? Because, I mean, that's a long-term thing. Like, if you invest, means you're paying your dollar and you're saying, yeah, I think the stock market is going to keep growing. Businesses in this country and around the world are going to keep growing. That's what you're saying with your money. But with Bitcoin, you're kind of signing on to, like, a a whole money revolution. You're kind of saying like, I think that we're going to move to a digitalized currency, more decentralized technologies, more power in the hands of the individual and the small business owner. And it's like, when have we been able to open up an app or set up a meeting with our investment person and just like participate in that? Right. And it's like ease of access kind of thing, like taking the friction away from financial services and banking and things like that. Um, and, you know, and I'll add to a little bit of what you said is you the, the financial revolution is absolutely real. Um, you don't have to be a part of it, though. It's not an all or all or none sort of thing. You can literally um, just this is a tech that you can just here's how it works. And you can look at all the different benefits and features and you can just pick little pieces of it that you want to play with. Like, let's say you um, are someone who lives in Venezuela or uh, I don't know, Central South America, someplace that tends to have a, a lot of people that work abroad, you know, that um, send money back to their families because maybe uh, maybe employment opportunities are not great there, but they are in the U.S. or somewhere else. Right now, um, remittances, money back to your family is a huge business. Western Union makes, I don't even, I don't know how much they make, but they make a lot of money. They make enough money to have Western Union physical locations all over the damn world. You know, so uh, it's in the trillions, though. I think it's like a trillion or, or I get my B's and my T's mixed up. It's billions or trillions of dollars that are you that are wasted on um, just moving money around, right? To your family, your money. So you right. pay your taxes in the country that you're working in. You probably pay taxes in the country that your li- family's living in too, on the same salary. 
And then you have to have these huge fees to move the money across borders. And then it takes, what, a week or something, unless you pay more, you know, pay more, it'll go faster, that kind of thing. And, and that sort of capitalism is just preying on people, you know, like how bad do you want your family to eat? Pay a little bit more and they can get, the money can get there faster. So instead of doing that, you could just say, you know what, why don't I use Bitcoin, right? And I will earn my money, and I will just put it into Bitcoin, whatever I don't need to use to live while I'm here working for myself. And then I'll just send them Bitcoin, which is a cross-border, international, non-government custodied uh, currency. And there are no cross-border fees. There are no cross-border delays. It just works, and it goes directly to the person you're sending it to without going through the hands of anybody else who may not only skim it um, and call it a fee, but use it for illicit activities. You know, the banks launder billions of dollars uh, of, of money of, of what's supposed to be like guarded legitimate transactions because it's going through a centralized approved banking entity. But so much money gets laundered through the banks every year um, that, you know, maybe they don't deserve to have all the money. Maybe if there is an option to just directly do it that benefits the people, we should just use that. So you can choose that little piece of it. You don't have to join the financial revolution. You can just save some money by not going through the banking system. Yeah, definitely. And that's a great distinction to make. Because, like, yes, there is a financial revolution, but you're right. Like, the revolution itself is this nice, like, slow, sweeping transition. Just, like, I'm sure for a lot of the average person, like, the transition from a gold-backed currency to a fiat currency, like, probably was not some, Mm -hmm. like, abrupt, like, there probably well, is somebody in a corporate office. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, you know, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's that's absolutely true because people still, um, when I talk to people, they're like, "But, but the dollar is backed by gold, though, right? Like it's gold, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, in in like in two thousand, in in twenty twenty, they're like, but the in like, no, man, that was like the seventies, bro. Yeah, that was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. It's just that people, um, you know, and, and, and you work in the education system. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's hit and miss what gets taught. Yeah, well, I realize in speaking specifically to that, being in the education system, being in a classroom and just like saying things that to me are just kind of natural conclusions about the world. And people are like, oh, you're one of those people who like believes <laughs> these. And I'm like, oh, look, because I'll say stuff without even really thinking about it, you know, because to me, the world now is not very different from, like, the pre-colonial, like, basically, like, post-feudal world, where, like, wealth that comes from extracting resources, like, spices, Mm -hmm. whatever, from some other country using military power, and then generating income. Yeah, just playing, playing off of people's desire to move out of the conquered territory (laughs) into the conquered territory and like just because it's very i mean it's it's to me it's simple there's wealth concentrated in one place which means that there's power that's attached to the military and so like that's kind of the basic structure whereas if you only believe what or not even if you only believe if you only think if you've only heard what the normal like history class narrative is 
yeah. then you kind of think like, oh yeah, we were once in darkness where rich people had all the money, but then <laughs> now we have this great thing called democracy where everybody Yeah, is that is how it's framed. <clears throat> which I think, I think it has successfully created that mentality in people. I think when we start having these conversations, people are like, oh yeah, I would like to be my own little sovereign nation. I would like to have some agency and have some say in the world, whereas maybe they wouldn't even ever think that if we were all just like subjects of the king. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, talking about how it's framed in history class and, and, and like uh, teaching normal high school stuff, American politics or uh, so what do they call it? Social studies or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. It's fine to frame it that way. Uh, What I don't, what I don't like is framing it as in our work is done. Yes. We've, we've won. Um, we completed our goals. Everything we stand for is a reality and there's nothing to worry about now, which is how I sort of received the message. Um, whenever I was in school was that like, Oh, it used to be this way. Now it's this way. Ta-da. And I didn't think about like, Oh, maybe we got more work to do. Right. We don't teach revolution in school. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's so true. Especially because, revolution is associated with military coups basically you know we think of a revolution as like oh this is going to be a period like five or ten years where we're chopping the heads off of all the french aristocrats and it's like well hold on those those were some events (laughs) those were some events (laughs) that we called revolutions that caused revolutions even Mm -hmm. but that's not the same as because i mean a revolution it takes a long time you know the earth revolves around the sun and it takes a while it doesn't just immediately change course well you know we've got the industrial revolution <clears throat> we've got a lot of revolutions and revolution is just major change to me and it doesn't have to be violent change yeah it can be a change of necessity it can be a change of convenience it can be disruptive technologies that that are all of a sudden here like the internet um you know if you think about what the internet did to libraries it sort of turned libraries into a niche little like, place that nobody goes honestly it's it's you go to the library and you see people who are um serious about needing a place to study and work um you see people who walk without computers and 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 you see like kids hanging out after school and stuff which is great like there's still a use case for libraries and that's beautiful. Libraries used to be way more than they are right now. And the internet did that libraries. I believe that Bitcoin is going to do the same thing to banks and banks are become going to become this like legacy financial system relic that uh, are, still, are still like have their place in the world, but they're just not what everything revolves around. It's not the source access to money just like libraries are not the source of access to information anymore right absolutely yeah i mean it's kind of like the laptop and microphone and interface of the recording studio industry Mm. it's like yeah maybe to accomplish a certain goal to get access to certain types of equipment maybe i do still have to go to a big brick and mortar recording studio to get certain things but there's all of this work and so much day to day that now, because I have a little bit of technology that didn't exist 10 or 20 years ago, I can do all that work myself. I got to admit, um, 
like I'm pretty old school. This yep. morning I was setting up uh, an external microphone. I had a little lamp there. I wasn't sure if we were going to have video or not, you know, and I'm setting up my desk. And then I'm like, wait, we're doing this on an app on the phone. I'm skeptical, but let's give it a shot. You sound great. This is easy. Um, I'm able to just take my phone and kick back and have a conversation in a more comfortable spot instead of at my desk. Yep. And, you know, it's like, really, I'm, I'm really just, uh, I guess I'm just stubborn. <laughs> because I've, all, I've done things the same way for so long. Yep. Um, but really, this is, uh, who said this? Was, uh, oh, Aaron Schwartz, this guy, a hero of mine, Aaron Schwartz said that programming was the closest thing he could, uh, to magic that he could think of. And it's true, like technology and, and, and programming and, and making things happen easier and better for people. Just the end result is somebody picks up and hits an app on their phone and poof, they're doing the thing. They're in a studio. It's like, it's magic. It's great. Technology. Uh, another, another good one is what it, it's pretty, pretty popular. It could go something like any sufficiently developed technology is indistinguishable from magic. You know, a lot of people have talked about it, but I believe that it's, it's kind of cool like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. But what I think is that any sufficiently advanced magic is indistinguishable from technology. Yeah. Okay. This is this is a more your interdimensional. Yeah. Alien forget talk, the right? Bitcoin. Okay. Universe. We're going <laughs> into the multiverse, man. Yeah. Let's do it. I think that everything that we experience as magic or coincidence or synchronicity is just leftover tech from three thousand years ago, man. That's what I really believe. If you want to know. There it is. I've been playing a game called Horizon Zero Dawn. It's on the PlayStation 4. Tell me about I, it. I love people's audio <laughs> descriptions of video game universes because oh yeah, they're always great. like, they're rich to begin with, but then hearing one person's filter as they've been like in the universe. So take us there, please. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll skip the part where I'm grinding around collecting resources for four hours. But that's important. Um, <laughs> no, but so basically, no, you're, you're, uh, you're this person who lives in a village and you got bows and arrows and shit. It's not an advanced technology, but a village. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, avatar, think avatar, but without all the blue and, um, and, but there used to be a huge advanced society with robots and AI. And apparently there was some war, but now you're like way in the future. And so, um, if you ever saw some of those, some of those apocalyptic movies, where it's like New York in the distant future and it's all overgrown with weeds and like mm -hmm. you can tell it used to be cool stuff. And now it's just kind of like, what is that? It's an old ancient building that's covered in growth. Plus, so there's all that. That's the setting is you don't know what happened. There used to be advanced society. Now everything's just kind of stone age again, not stone age, but like, you know, pretty much. Yeah. And then robot dinosaurs, Everywhere, everywhere, robot dinosaurs. They're robots, but they're dinosaurs. They're dinosaurs, rather. They're completely dinosaurs. The, the machines. And so that's the setting. Like, that's the whole game. That's it's, cool. It's great. You can find out what happened. You can read, you can explore, and you can read computer terminals, like entries from the past to figure out, like, was there a war? Did the AI take over? Why, is, why are things the way they are? It doesn't spell it out for you. It just drops you in. And you're like, okay, what is the world? And why are there robot dinosaurs? Oh, that's cool. That's kind of a unique choice that there's a mystery aspect. 
Yeah. So that's that's as far as I'm concerned, that's the whole game. That's cool, man. It's enough for me anyway. Like that's all I need. Yeah. So that's oh, and you can you can ride them around. Oh, that's, that's, that's cool. That's, that's also cool. So that's where you've been hanging out virtually. How do you see that as relating to the world that we live in, in as literal mm-hmm. or figurative as a way as you want to make it? Well, I don't actually. It's the opposite of that. I use video games as sort of a therapeutic pull me out of the world where I can, um, I basically only play single player RPGs. I don't want other humans in there to talk to. Right. I want a fake world with fake shit that is not resembling 2020 earth right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not. It absorbs that. I want to disappear and be like um, whoever the character is for hours. And then when I come out of that, it's kind of like I'm looking at the real world again with fresh eyes. You know, kind of like I'm coming out of that world and going back in with, with uh, all that washed off. And I can be objective again about, you know, going back into day world, into the, into the life of, of uh, you know, USA in the, tw- in the, in the 20s again. <laughs> right. Well, that's interesting. Well, okay, yeah. tell me about then, because you do, you're existing in a real world space that mm-hmm. necessitates having that as part of your head game. Like, the way, the place we're living, the time we're living right now, it's important to both of us to have this moment of detachment to kind of cleanse the palate moment of you know meditation moment of escape like how do you how do you see how do you see life without that like i guess let's ask how do i see the world (laughs) well let's well how do you see the world like what if you what if you weren't doing that like what are the things that would be kind of encroaching on your daily happiness if you didn't have this practice Uh, of escaping well I had, this is, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be a little bit brief on a couple of points, but um, I have a hard time dealing with this year in general. <laughs> um, there's, a, you know, there's a few things going on and they're all going on at the same time and they're compounding and I have a tendency to worry about everything. Um, I was in the Navy for nine years and I was a mission planner and uh, I, we always, we always were trained to have contingency plans for everything. You know, what all can go wrong, what all can go right, and draw out the branching diagram uh, in your head of all the choices so that if and when those things happen, you're ready for it. And it's hard to unlearn that. So whenever you get something like the year 2020 on planet Earth, and you have the experience that I do with the global political situation, I guess you could say, um, I start to, I start to go down a rabbit hole in my head of contingency planning. Like I'm not really a prepper. I'm more of a worrier, (laughs) I guess. And so I use video games to break me out of that cycle. Um, but the things I worry about are like, of course we have a global pandemic that is throwing everything in the blender and we don't know how it's going to come out on top of that we've got you know things that i worry about are like in the next few years we're probably going to see a war in the south china sea the australian government sees that they've doubled their defense budget this year 
because they're pretty sure we're going to see a war in the South China Sea between the U.S. and China. And if that happens, what's Russia going to do? You know, that's kind of like Putin's wet dream. He's got to take advantage of that, right? Right. Going in now. So I see all these weird political military things playing out. I see what's happening to, I don't know, just the the soul of our institution in, in Washington. You know, and this is something that I personally spent a decade of my life, uh, you know, upholding in the military, basically, or at least telling myself that's what I was doing. I see stuff like, um, you know, like I think it was even a year ago, the Washington Post or somebody published an expose on the, uh, the I don't know, lies. I'll, to put it simply, the lies that, that the public and the military members were told as justification for going into Iraq and, and getting into the situation that we're in over there. A lot of stuff has come around this year and come out this year that makes me just question the short-term, uh, not the short-term, the long-term, the longevity of what we're trying to do here. We're like, as a nation, we're, you know, barely not even 300 years old you know we're like 250 some odd years old or something i don't know i'm not doing the math everybody else has gone through a bunch of revolutions you know i was visiting germany with my wife and there's things that have there's buildings and forts and 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 communities that have been there for a thousand years right like they've gone through some shit to become the nation they they are today Right. And so I feel like we've got a lot of that to go still. And I'm concerned about how soon something like that might happen here, because it looks like it's at least possible that we have an administration who will not accept defeat, who will not leave office and who will continue to um, do anything possible to, to benefit well, just for personal gain, whether it's f- favors for friends or for themselves. And, and I think we're in a situation where, you know, I, I'm not trying to come in and be po- too political here, you know, with this conversation, because that can get, that can, I don't know, tune people out. But um, I, think, I think Donald Trump's the kind of person who would start a civil war if it meant better chances for him to like, if he could benefit from it, if it's not as bad, I'm, I think he's afraid of going to jail when he gets out of office. Right. <laughs> he's immune from a lot of shit right now. And I see him in a situation that I see, like it's a very mild situation compared to what North Korea is in, but um, King Jong-un, he can't just like step down and say, Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I'll go away now. Cause he'll be prosecuted. You know, and he'll be put in jail. And I think, I don't know, I, I'm afraid Trump's getting to that. But uh, I have to be present forever now because I'm going down one of those rabbit holes. And so this is where I start playing video games. And I'm like, don't think of that. Nope, that's fine. Everything's cool. You're fighting dinosaurs. <laughs> right? So that, yeah. that's what happens. And I'm like, okay, and this and then that. And then I go into extreme examples of like, paranoia and then i'm like okay stop 
you need to pretend to be someone else right now so you can stay sane because you're just going to be making up shit and worrying about it. So that's the kind of thing is I spiral whenever I start thinking of too much. I just keep going. Yeah, I think that's kind of where we're at. Well, I feel like humanity is like we're banging on the walls of like 3D resource-based universe right now. Because we see the virtual world coming. We're like, okay, as a human race, we kind of feel more like the thing I am when I'm just my mind reacting to stuff in a virtual world. Like, my body's somewhere. But it's like, when I get in those spaces, I realize, like, okay, most of my life since childhood already has been this. Like, most of my jobs have been stuff that is intellectual or if it is physical i'm doing some part of a larger plan that was like planned using technology and i think it is stressful because we're like why should there be a war coming like why should there be world war three or any of this stuff like why does anyone still care about what my physical body (laughs) is doing and it's still kind of a weird it's a weird question to ask but it's a question that we're all starting to ask what 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 question is that though? You mean like why are we why are we um, why are we doing this to each other physically when we can just be doing it to each other virtually? <laughs> what are you? Yes, that, you that's at? that's the question. But not only for war for for everything. Like when where yeah. where is the breaking point where the virtual reality? Because it's like the way I see the world. There are people with political power and financial mm-hmm. power who basically want me to be a do-to-do, go-to-work-living-in-house person. Like, not because, mm-hmm. of some, yeah. not because of some conspiracy, but because they have a business plan where they've planned for a population of a certain amount of consumers and a certain amount of employees, and, like, this and that. And, like, I think that's cool. Legal institutions that then enforce that, because I feel like, naturally, what my head wants to do is escape into a virtual world. What my body wants to do is just go back to the real world. Like, I find that my body just wants to go and be like the orangutans again and live among the trees. Well, what do you think about augmented reality? Not VR, mm-hmm. but like, um, you know, a pair of glasses, say, <clears throat> that, that overlaid a VR world on top of the physical one. So you still see it kind of like looking through the camera of your phone or, or Pokemon Go, you know, Pokemon Go, right? That's an yep. augmented reality game. But um, like take that and extrapolate it to where, you know, you're walking around house hunting with your AR glasses on and it's like another layer on top of the world that enhances the world. So the world's still there, but now you can see the value of every house you walk by floating over it. Or now you can see like uh, which businesses around town are hiring right now as a little icon above them you know, to just kind of make things more efficient for your day-to-day life where you get out into the world again, but you still have the enhancement of technology um, to use the same way that you do your cell phone right now, but without having to like have your cell phone in your hand and distracted driving. It's like hands-free cell phoning, but all of it, hands-free computing, augmented reality. I, I think that's a cool concept that is coming around the corner um, where we're going to have a lot of these features that right now we're accustomed to having, but we have to pull it out of our pocket in the form of a cell phone. We got to pull it out of our pocket and go on the internet or open the app or whatever. 
you know, either a pair of glasses or goggles or a brain implant, some kind of, uh, you know, post-humanism thing is, is on the way probably. Elon's working on it. You know, he's got, have you seen that? The, oh, Neuralink, yes. I'm following that very yeah. closely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Neuralink's cool. Yeah, yeah. Neuralink, which is, which is we're, we're talking about uh, machine-to-brain interfaces. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Broadly. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if anybody doesn't know what Neuralink is, I forgot we were just not having a conversation between you and I. That's good. Um, <laughs> the immediate implications is that there's a bunch of things that we cannot fix about the brain, right? There's brain damage, there's severed pathways that can no longer move your fingers, your arms, your legs, or whatever. It's all kinds of stuff. But if you have an implant that can compensate for that, route around it, you know, trigger the the nerves uh, itself instead of having, you know, your brain do it, which you can't anymore, and you have... Uh, the scary part is that you have to have an AI in there to learn how to adapt to each person's specific brain to do that, you know? So that's where you start getting into, oh, you're going to put an AI in my head? Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, but then you can fix things like paralyzation. You can fix things like, you know, this person can't walk anymore just by just a, a medical procedure, which is amazing. And that's, that's just the first thing that that Elon wants to tackle with this. That's just the proof of concept, um, you know? And so you get that working and, you know, it's not, I, I don't think it's too long after that where you start seeing, instead of repairing the human body, you start enhancing the human body, right? Where you've got like, oh, you know what? It'd be cool to be Goro. I would like to have an extra set of arms and hands. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one of those, um, Really interesting projects that has a lot of promise that, yeah, I'll be following it pretty closely as well because it looks like they're making some progress. Totally. Well, I guess what I'm thinking is like philosophically and maybe, maybe I'm like way ahead. Maybe I'm just in the year 3000 or 4000 now, but what I'm We can go there. Yeah, please. I I mean, but I can go there. Yeah. Like we as a human race, because we have things like, VR and even we have things like church and we have people like storytellers mm-hmm. and musicians like we accept that there's the physical body and then the human mind and the human spirit is like this other thing however as a as a global society we have this idea that each human has duty to like unify the body and the mind and use it to like help the rest of humanity because we are laboring under the delusion that there is scarcity and there is inequality and there is all of this stuff that is mm, that's suppo- yeah. that supposedly exists that's part of us because we are evil humans and to uh, to to fix the original sin of your humanity and the drag that you are mm-hmm. naturally the drag on your family the drag on your country and your species you have to work <laughs> But there is, you know, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're doing the, the, the sarcastic evil laugh, but you're right. There's, you know, just yesterday I was reading about the Federal Reserve, um, and I didn't even know about this, honestly. I don't know how I didn't know about this, but they have a mandate for um, two things, uh, keeping inflation at a certain level and keeping full employment, right? But they've defined full employment as 
uh, not full employment. <laughs> right. So the Federal Reserve has been specifically making sure that there's a certain level of unemployment so that the economy is shaped the way that they wanted it to be shaped. So it flows and works the way that they think it probably w- should work. And so they were like, you know what? We're going to not intentionally keep people unemployed anymore um, starting today. And I was like, wait, you were doing that? <laughs> so we're supposed to have this free, uh, democratized, um, uh, free market society. But we have this this sort of like kind of socialist planned economy that people don't talk about, where you have things like that are happening today where the fed is printing $3 trillion. They're probably going to print 3 million, a trillion more dollars, uh, which to me is just flooding the market with counterfeit bills. And they're directly, you know, they, they started out by, you know, doing bonds and backing loans for the banks and ETS, but now they're directly buying stocks. They're directly buying securities to prop up the stock market. So what they're doing is printing counterfeit bills and then using those, that money, this is theoretic, like conceptually what they're doing. They're not literally right. doing this because it's on a computer most of the time. But then they're buying stocks directly to prop up the stock market. Meanwhile, um, the long-term effect of that is that they're diluting the scarcity of the money supply, which is directly devaluing the savings accounts of every citizen in the U.S., and not just the U.S., but the world is on a U.S. dollar uh, reserve system, right? So central banks globally have a U.S. dollar reserve, and we're diluting the value of that reserve just by printing and printing and printing and printing. So your citizens get poorer. Um, and even if, even if that didn't happen, the system today is designed to slowly take money and value from you. If you have... If you have um, a savings account and you've got $30,000 in there and you're like, cool, I got a little bit of a nest egg starting here. I'm going to save this. Well, at an average of one to 3% per year of monetary inflation, if you save that 30 grand for 10, 20 years, what's it going to be worth in 20 years at, at, at least, I mean, now that we've done what we've done and with printing so much money, I would say at least 3% per year for a long time. You don't have a lot of value left of that 30 grand. It's not going to buy a car anymore, right? It's not going to buy the things that it buys today. Prices are going to go up. Your money is going to be worth less. And that's part of the plan, right? So not, I don't, not to go all the way back to the beginning of the conversation again, but a lot of times when people tell me that Bitcoin is like a get rich quick scheme. I say, no, it's not. It's a don't get slow, poor scheme. Yeah. It's basically like, no, you're opting out of a system that's designed to take what you've worked, what you've worked for and, and benefit people that already have everything. Right. So I forget where I was going, but yeah. We have this planned economy when we're supposed to have a free a free market, and, and I think the free market works, but we don't we don't allow it to we don't allow it to work. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think that's even just saying I think a free market works. Like fundamentally, what you're saying is 
I think that humans are more good than evil. There's enough good. Yeah. There's enough people who just want to do their regular job and mm-hmm. be compensated enough that they can survive. I agree. And I don't think that it's like half and half or 60-40. I think it's like 99.9999999999. Like, like, like you would have to search so hard to find a human who genuinely does want to just enslave the rest of humanity. Find that human he's already enslaving humanity. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's really wonderful people in the world. And as many of those, there's equally, you know, polar opposite people in the world. Um, but those are extremes. Right. And everybody else is sort of somewhere in the middle there. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that most of us are stupid. I don't think that most of us want pain and misery. You know, I don't think most of us care about most things that go on in the world, really. I think most of us um, just, we, we want to be happy. We want our friends and families to be happy. And we kind of want things to be fair-ish. And that's most of what we want. Yeah, I'm so with you I, there. I'm going to pour some more coffee here. Yeah, Thanks to my handy-dandy piece of wireless technology, I don't oh, have yes, to pause. Right. So nice. But yeah, I think, you know, you're right. I think most people are good in general, and a free market works because of that trait. Now, I'm not an anarchist, um, and I'm not somebody who thinks that... I have a good friend that's an anarchist, like a real anarchist, not somebody who's trying to be cool and anarchy in the uk and whatever dude's an anarchist yeah and we talk about it and he's got some amazing points um that i don't agree with but i can see where he's coming from can totally see where he's coming from um i'm more of a you read andrew yang's book right didn't i send that to you yeah i'm more of a we're just incentivizing the wrong behavior in capitalism is what is, is, is more of what I'm into, you know? Yeah. Like I we're agree. incentivizing over anything else. We're incentivizing, make more money to make more money. You got to make more money to make more money. Um, and we measure our success of a nation uh, with GDP and how much money we make compared to our bills and how much we owe and all that. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't measure the death rate and say, oh, we're doing great because of this. You know, we don't, I mean, we do measure it, but when we do our finance, our, like our economic reporting, we don't measure happiness as part of our economy. We don't measure um, uh, number of hours worked on average, you know, as part of our, how flourishing our economy is. What we do measure is how rich people are getting among the people who are rich. That's specifically what I feel like we measure. We're like, how is the stock market doing? How are the major corporations doing? You know, as long as all that's great, yay, celebration. Never mind everything else or everyone else. So it's a matter of, I don't know, just retooling what we find to be important, you know, what we value. And right now, the answer at the top is, motherfucker, we value money. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's fundamentally changing Thank you. the focus from, uh, like, 
from the individual, like from the consumer, from the end user, to these like who are con- the people who are considered like the tent poles of the economy. But it's like I think, especially now, we've gotten to a point of critical mass where the fabric is just about not there anymore. We're just looking. We're looking at a tent pole. We're looking at the at the stock market and the biggest companies trading on the stock market because because you're yeah. right like we're not even looking really at the market as a whole we're looking at like the quote-unquote experts pick of a few hundred companies yeah and s p 500 yeah. the dow industrial average the you know these indicators that tell us how good the rich people are doing right and if it's, you want to put it that way yeah if you want to put it that way because to an to an outsider it sounds like we are grossly oversimplifying and being sore losers. But then <laughs> once you do just the first page of research, just a couple of Google searches, it's like, oh no, like what we're saying is a literal truth. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the system is completely rigged and evil, although who knows, maybe that's another conversation. It doesn't mean there's no place for the consumer. It doesn't mean there's no place for the individual but it does yeah. it does expose like what we are literally doing is using the metric of how are the people at the very top doing because we've got that, this that's idea that's kind of how i read it yeah yeah and they've got cuz we've got this idea that if they go away everything goes away and yeah. maybe it is built to self destruct like that right now i don't know <laughs> well that was that was the problem in 2008 right that was the yeah. too big to fail the banks can't uh, the banks can't fail because everything collapses. That was the belief, um, which maybe that's true, you know, and maybe it's true. It, it probably is true that um, the Fed had to print out trillions of dollars this year to keep things floating. Maybe there was no other choice. They, you know, maybe it was that or collapse, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the things that led us here, though, you know, um, I think the things that led us here are just just focus on the wrong problem. Focus on on fictional problems or theoretical problems, like the unemployment thing. You know, they were worried about the theoretical hyperinflation of the vicious cycle of employees having too much uh, leverage to ask for higher wages. Is what they were worried about. Right. Did you know that that was what it was for? That's why the Federal Reserve was keeping unemployment at a certain level? No, I, I mean, it makes sense when you when you put those two things next to each other. But no, I didn't. Well, know. yeah. So the, the, the concern, the academic concern was that if you had perfect, you have no unemployment. Right. There's there's only <clears throat> the amount of employment that can account for people changing jobs and regular stuff like that. If you have that, then employers would not have a like a pool of workers to pull from if they needed to hire that were like ready to go and employees would have a very good job market to the point where they could ask for higher wages and have leverage to get them because they could walk you know and if the employer doesn't have a bunch of unemployed people to pull new employees from then they you know they would have more leverage they would get paid more um and then See you later. Be safe. Give me something good. Get some ice cream. Sorry, my wife's going to Whole Foods. I wanted some ice cream. Hmm? Oh, yeah, let me get that. Sorry, Wilson. I 
paused halfway in the middle of the sentence there. Not at but, all. Brought to you by No, Walmart. what I was yeah. <laughs> what I was getting at was that um so the fear was that that would drive um prices higher because people have more money. And then when the prices go higher, people are gonna want more money because now prices are higher. And then they get they ask for more wages and you end up in a, like this 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 cycle of uh, inflation or, or like prices and uh, 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 wages just going up in a vicious cycle or something like that. I butchered the last half of that explanation, but the point is it was an academic theoretical problem and they were putting actual real people out of work <laughs> to combat the theoretical problem, which was, I don't know, ironic to me. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense because it's not just about where the money and the people are right now it's like where the going so like i agree it makes it makes sense now that you're illuminating it for the the minimum wage worker to not actually be the minimum worker like the minimum worker is the person who's on the street who has no job who has no income but it's like all of those minimum actual zero dollar workers the zero dollar workers want to become eight dollar workers Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is, it is actually like in terms of our social hierarchy. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was clearing my throat is all. Well, yeah, all, all I was going to say is is just that like there is a natural inclination, especially if you're at the top, if you're totally insulated from that. If you don't have any other information coming in and you're expected to just make a decision based on what this economist says, the economist is like, well, if there's a lot of unemployed people then your minimum wage people who are only just barely making enough to survive and are not making enough to make any future life for themselves, they'll be grateful for that because at least they're not making zero dollars and definitely destitute, definitely not going to be able to comfortably uh, own land, raise children, you know, do any any of the individual nation building that we love doing. Yeah, and this, and you know, then they're not, they're not necessarily wrong. I, I don't right. want to. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I don't want to suggest that like I've got a better idea. I do, but um, I'm not trying to even say that. Just, these people are they got a job to do with the information they have at their at, uh, available to them, and you got to understand these people, they're that the make the, the people that make these policies that make these decisions. Um. They've been given a job to take a global economy and make it work like sustainable to make it continue to function around the clock in a way that is dependable and reliable that you can build a nation on top of and you can build a secure um, uh well, the foundation of a country on top of, and they've got a lot of data and a lot of things that they've learned about how the numbers uh, are supposed to work. And, and their job is to use what they've learned to apply it to the task of regulating the economy. And so they just do it the best way they can think to do it. They're not thinking, they're not always thinking of morals and they're not always thinking of like each individual person. They're looking at like, an objective view, not thinking of people as people. And they're like, you know, you got SimCity, 
right? You ever play SimCity? Yep. 3000 was the best one. SimCity 4 was cool, but 3000 was my shit. Well, you got a SimCity and you've got natural disasters and you've got hungry people and you've got uh, mental health and you've got employment and you've got money and you've got um, just, oh, so much stuff, right? Education and defense and it's not all the same person, of course, working on all of those, but how do you take that machine and optimize it? How do you take that machine and just make it like really effective? And a lot of the answers to that are some people don't do so well. And that ends up benefiting people that need a liquidity pool almost of, of a workforce to pull from. And they have things like the Federal Reserve ensuring a certain rate of unemployment so that employers and business owners continually have a liquidity pool of, of human resources to pull from. So it's, it's just, it's septic almost, right? Right. How it's, how it's designed in a, in a, like a human value sort of way. And this is just going back to what I was talking about with Andrew Yang is his concept of a human-centered capitalism where we measure uh quality of life for you know for people like the per capita quality of life instead of the per capita um income or or, or it's just something that means more than money measure it uh incentivize it uh make it more profitable to be a good person right because you're not going to convince people to be a good actor just because they want to feel good at night but if you can incentivize and you can make it profitable to run your business in a way that improves the quality of life for everyone on the planet, and it's just more profitable, period, to do it that way, then you can change the world. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's, that's something that really resonated with me in The War on Normal People. Andrew Yang's book is that like there is a lot there's so much of the existing system that was made with good intentions that does function well that allows us to do what we want and yeah it's it's incentivizing behaviors basically we're incentivizing the people who like everyone else is trying to like watch the game and the game is happening and they're the ones taking bets. The ones who like aren't watching the game, aren't trying mm. to get everyone to the ones who are like, how can I bet on both sides? And yeah. Well, naturally... this is day traders that we were talking about earlier too. Yeah. Sure. Same there thing. you go. But yeah, it's, you know, sorry, we're, dealing with yeah. Indi- we're dealing with individuals who are like day trading the globe, like against the collateral of human suffering. Yeah. And there's money in that. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's something else that I, that I want to ask you about specifically is like the process of globalization. Like in theory, it should be like every corporation in every country, like every powerful group of people should be thinking about like, what if I dominate the world? Like, what if I have to create like Amazon humanity? What if I have to mm-hmm. create Google humanity? What if I have, what if the whole world has to be China? But what mm-hmm. that means is that everyone becomes a citizen of that nation. And so like, cause eventually 
the whole world does become a suburb where the whole world is everybody has the same three bedroom house or whatever with like eventually we do get to a point where there's just like no room for any now we're getting poverty now now we're headed where you were wanting to head into the future of like what's the trajectory like what's the end game here it's kind of what yeah. you're getting at. Yeah, well, what's the end game here? Because specifically, thinking on this thousand-year arc does affect how we make decisions today. For sure. I mean, even, even the concept of thinking about putting in work now that you won't even be alive to see the fruition of is, is alien to people. Yeah, but I feel naturally, anytime you hear a story of someone's intention of doing that, it's like you... We naturally pay more attention. Like we're naturally very interested in that because we are making decisions that will benefit me right now. That will benefit my descendants. Right, and that's why I've got a lot of uh, interest in Elon Musk because he's got you know he thinks like that. He's like you know I might not be around for it, but we got to do something. We can't just all be in one planet forever. We can't have all our eggs in one basket. Yeah, his whole thing is. Um, uh, he basically wants to, to to give humanity a better chance of long-term survival by making us a multi-planetary species is what he wants yeah. to do. Uh, that way, if we do get an asteroid to the gut here on Earth, well, we'll have some humans over on Mars to pick up and then and, and maybe restart or something, you know? Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, he said, he's talking about Alpha Centauri and how far away it is. And he said, you know, you can bicycle there in like 150,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that far away. <laughs> yeah. So it's a matter of scale that you're looking on. Um, and I've got even in, coming back to like a, a personal level again, even a short term in, mm. the, in the now, in the present. I have that uh, reluctance to do things that I feel like are going to take me a week to finish where I don't even want to start it. because It's like, oh, it's going to take so long. Right. <laughs> You know, like I won't see the results of that until next week. Come on. I want right. next day shipping. I want uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But, yeah, so the people that have long-term visions like that, they do tend to be people that that um, they, that I listen to just because I'm curious uh, where they're going with this and where they see humanity going in the long term. And I, and I do kind of agree with um, – what you were saying about how, you know, earth, I, I think we can go either way from here. 2020 is a great crossroads for us because we can either go into the most dystopian hellish future that we can imagine, or we can go into the most like Star Trek, perfect society. We don't even use money anymore. Uh, future from here where you have the United earth Federation and you know, you have uh, space travel and multi-planetary species and and people have figured out that, hey, you know what? We all are humans, aren't we? We should probably act like it. Um, you know, we can do that. Or we can spiral into this, um, you know, your classic uh, 1984 or um, you ever read Neuromancer? Yes, I just read it. Oh really? Isn't yeah. that cool, man? Yeah, uh, I did because I because re- yeah. you recommended, and then I yeah, was talking right. about Snow Crash to someone else, and they were like, "Oh, you got to check out Neuromancer." I did. 
Yeah, man. I like Neuromancer a lot. That was that's that book has my favorite opening line of any book. Yeah. <clears throat> the sky was the color of uh what did he say? The sky was the color of a television tuned to a dead channel. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just like But then nobody knows what that is anymore if they were born, you know, like fifteen years ago. Yeah, it's true, because you don't want to think about, like, the black and white dot static or the color bars. You want to think about the weird, like, off gray. Yeah, it's just like... Like the the old-timey tube TVs. The the city's just, like, the washing... The city lights are washing out the stars a little bit. You can still see some some fuzz and freckles of the stars, but you have this, like, hazy gray wash. Yeah, you know, and that's something that... You know, he thought of a lot of things in that book, but he never predicted cell phones. <laughs> I know, yeah. He, there's a, a four in the version I listened to. There's a forward or something where he mentions that he's like, "Yeah, it's so funny how some things I was able to be, you know, it's so many decades ahead, but it's like they're still like running around trying to look for a terminal to like, look for get a phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah look for a terminal. Yeah, yeah, yep. I take pictures of every every phone booth I see, man. Still do. Right. What were we even talking about? Oh, we're supposed to be 3,000 years in the future. I agree with you that we're eventually going to probably be just um, Earth, you know? Like, that's the, that's the, that's the nation, is Earth. Yeah. Um, in 1,000 years, yeah, that's probably enough time. Sure. <clears throat> um, they, kind of, they kind of speak to that a little bit in the show Firefly, where they have this mixture of English and Chinese Right. language and that's just the common language because everyone's just sort of like uh molded into the same sort of species instead of pretending that we're different races yeah yeah and all that yeah i definitely i see things going that way um just because they're kind of i feel like the human race has been trying to do that like i mean even in ancient age like as soon as we were able to like put a seed in the ground grow a plant cut some of it off and like save some. It was like, okay, now I've got time to go try to create a global society. And so immediately it's like, you know, uh, huge empires, Egypt and Mesopotamia and Rome and like everyone, like always, it's just, there wasn't the tech to like keep mm-hmm. every, to keep everybody watching the same YouTube videos every day. Yeah. Kind of has the same narrative to their lives. Or actually I thought you were going to go in a different direction with the tech. Um, because what I was going to say is the seed planting itself is the tech. And you're unable to build an empire if you don't have the ability or the technology to rapidly expand your food uh, production process. Right. And so whenever you have these disruptive technologies that, like you could have a perfectly operating world. Every nation in the world is harmonious and everything is optimized as much as it can be optimized under the system that exists today. And then some disruptive technology will be invented and the genie's out of the bag and you can't put it back in the bottle or whatever. Like it's there, it exists and it's taken off and it's popular and it disrupts an entire system of how society has always worked because everything's optimized on what exists, what's possible, what we have the options to do, what we can even design around. And so I think you're always gonna have a disruptive technology that's invented that takes all of that and throws it in the blender and it's like, all right, 
build something else now because everything's different now that we have this new technology that makes all these other things obsolete, right? Right. So it's this generational cycle of, and maybe that's what we talk about when we say like, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the industrial revolution was an example of that, right? You have automated manufacturing factories um, uh, making, reproducing, like, even in, even in like, uh, like the civil war, right? The guns, the, the firearms, the tools that were used to wage war, you couldn't just strip the parts off of one gun to fix the other one because the manufacturing techniques weren't within the tolerances to be able to swap out parts on the same model gun, the same model tool, right? Right. Because the tolerances weren't tight enough, the, the, the manufacturing systems weren't good enough to have just a surplus of spare parts to keep your existing tools functional really cheaply and really easily. It was a one-off thing. Like, this thing works, but you're not going to have a very good time finding another one that has a barrel that fits it or something. You know what I mean? Right. I'm, this is, I don't know about guns, but this is like just an example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. So you have, you know, the ability... To do that comes with, you know, a revolution in manufacturing technology that makes, lets you mass produce stuff cheaply, quickly, easily. And it, it undercuts the entire economic plan, really. And you got to figure out how to do it differently. And that takes time and it takes pain and it takes frustration. And it's these generational changes, like once in a generation type events that cause these, these changes. I think we're in that now. <clears throat> I think 2020 is one of those generational events that changes the course of history, and we just don't know what's going to come out on the other end. And it's exciting to live in that time. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's worrisome, you know, but it's, it's inspiring at the same time because I've always been a believer in, in hardship being a necessity for for progress in other words um like hardship combats complacency right if you don't yeah. have any if everything's fine and perfect um people are still going to be interested in tinkering and people are still going to be interested you're still going to have the people that that like to build stuff and, and invent things but you're not going to have as much of a drive to find better solutions and better ways of doing things because everything's just fine the way they are and so whenever you take things like what's happening this year, <clears throat> where global economies are crashing, uh, they're going to continue crashing for at least another year or three. You've got political unrest. You've got social unrest. You've got people who are not happy with their governments. You've got shit. The whole um, after what happened in Beirut, uh, mm -hmm. government just stepped down, you know, so now they're going through a revolution. Um, Belarus is going through a revolution. Political boundaries are being redrawn. Um, I'm not going to go on and on because you can just watch CNN and see what is going right. on this year. You know? <laughs> Double hurricanes in the Gulf. I know. Asteroids barely missing the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Uh, murder, murder, bee, murder wasps. Uh, um, what was I saying? I lost myself. 
Well, just to be clear, they were murdering the beast, wasps, right? Yeah, when they were murder wasps. <laughs> we need the bees, man. We're already poisoning the bees. We don't need murder wasps, too. Yeah, I agree. I like food, and we need bees for food. You know, we need our pollinators. Um, damn it, I was going down a rabbit hole. I didn't want to go too far, but I forget what I was talking about. Let's Where was see, okay, I? Okay, so yeah, Global Cataclysm, lots of going on. You can watch CNN. Um, Generational. Oh, yeah, I'm saying, oh, here, got it. Thank you. So I'm a little bit inspired by all this, only because when you look at it objectively, coldly, and you see, man, everything is really on the cusp of crumbling. And if you look at Gainesville, for example, I love this town so much. Um, it's especially, I don't know, Gainesville, Florida is always where I came back uh, when I was on vacation in the military or something. I'd come home because my family was here. But I just, I've always loved this town. And I've always wanted to be um, more of a part of it, a part of the community and a part of this, the, the, the culture here. And when I see everything falling apart the way that it is, it makes me think about, okay, if that happens, we're going to see a wave of um, cheap housing, cheap um, infrastructure downtown that people can purchase, and less rich people will be able to afford to start new businesses because there's going to be, you're going to need less capital to do it if everything's in ruin if that makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Stuff's going to be cheaper to start. Buildings are going to be cheaper to, to lease. Um, local and state and federal governments are going to be giving incentives to offset overhead. You're going to see this wave of entrepreneurs rebuilding a country that has just collapsed, if it collapses. I'm not saying it's going to. So even things like the worst case possible, even things like the worst case scenario where everything goes to shit, I believe in people enough to think, well, you know what? Maybe I can grab a few people, start a little community, go in on a piece of property that you know got abandoned by the owner because there's no money in it anymore, get a good deal from the city, maybe get it for taxes that are owed, and start a, something innovative and new and fuck it. We'll only accept Bitcoin. We, we don't even accept fiat. We're going right. to just use different money. Yeah. Right? Let them keep all the money and we'll start our own thing. And it'll be just like, an, like another layer economy on top of, on top of you know, whatever it still exists. Mm -hmm. Even this dystopian worst case scenario shit inspires me a little bit just because I know it's going to breed uh, a generation of entrepreneurs that see fertile ground like when a forest burns down right you have you know it triggers seeds to grow again kind of thing so um i don't know maybe that maybe that kind of thing can still lead to something good in the end even if it's detrimental in the short term i have to look at it that way or i'll go crazy yeah, absolutely. Well, I got a little smile on my face, actually, when you were saying that, because it made me think about like, okay, we measure success of the economy, which is a stretch by looking at a specific segment of the stock market. We're like, okay, the best companies mm, yeah. in the stock market are doing well, which means that even a stock market crash mm -hmm. will actually just be 
the richest people doing <laughs> yeah. doing less way better than the rest of us so, yeah 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 it's all it's almost like there's nothing to be afraid about for like the entire 98 99% of the country in terms of like it, what I, our daily experience will be it kind of is like that i don't own any stocks um I did for a little while, but once I saw the type of manipulation that's happening in the stock market today with the federal government, mm-hmm. like stocks can only go up. You're not allowed to short the stock market right now. You just can't. The yeah. Federal Reserve won't because they're just going to buy it. If, it. if it starts going down in price, they're going to just buy it up until it goes up in price again. Yeah. Right. So I'm not touching that. That just means that once it finally does go down, it's going to go down, baby. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not. I don't own any stocks at all. So whenever I see something like historical crash in the stock market and everyone's losing their shit on CSNBC or whatever, I'm just like, hmm, that really sucks for you guys. Yeah. Man. <laughs> that really sucks for Hertz, I guess, right. you know, or whatever Kodak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I get it that people have their 401ks tied up in the stock market. Like that's people's retirement plan. So it does affect the small guy. It does affect, um, well, it affects the middle class is who it affects. Yeah. Because, and, and I would even say the upper middle class, because the bottom half, at least, of, of people in the U.S. don't even have 401ks. They don't have anything in the stock market, right? Mm-hmm. When I say I don't own any stocks, I do have a 401k, and it does use the stock market to, you know, to, to hold that and make value for me. Uh, but that's but that's it. You know what I mean? Like that's what it would affect is yeah. You know what? It wipes out people's retirement plans. That's that's terrible. Yeah. Um, but there is a truth to what you're saying too, where like it basically only affects people that have money in stocks in these major companies and stuff. And <clears throat> a huge part of us don't even have the money. Uh, uh, you know, to we don't have money to put in stocks. We don't have money to like go invest in uh, Kodak whenever our buddy tells us that the price is about to go up the next day. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. So even if we had the inside information, it's not like we have the capital to do anything with it. It's not like we have the ability to make money if we don't already make money. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a limited. And that's why I think it's so out of touch for the president to go up there and tout the stock market all the time like he does and talks about how, oh, the stock market's up and look at that, doing great and the economy is so wonderful and everything's so peachy. Well, yeah, of course it is, you know, and 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 everyone around him is doing great because they're all rich people that own a lot of stocks and companies and stuff, right? But he's talking to people who don't own stocks, saying that everything is great while they're dying and unemployed. Right. That's a little out of a little off base, a little little out of touch there, you know. So yeah, I don't know. No, we'll see what happens. I agree. It's like we've we've gotten to the point. It's like when the teacher tests so much that every single lecture just becomes like we're gonna go through a study guide that just looks like the test. Yeah, and like there's this like slide that happens where at first it's like ooh i don't know if this is going to be as valuable of an education but whatever it's one class and then like gradually and then eventually it's just like here's the test we're just looking at a copy of the test 
It's like the metric is like supposed to be like, okay, well, as long as the stock market's doing well. And like underneath, everybody knows like, okay, well, there's more things in the stock market. Really, we should be worried about happiness, employment, people being fed, all of this stuff. But we kind of accept this other thing to say like, oh, test scores are up like as a as a band aid yeah. for now. But now it's like the whole the whole narrative has just become the band aid. So it's like, when does that get off? How 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 much do you um, think that critical thinking plays into all of this? Like the idea that we tend to teach people what to know instead of how to learn in other words or or you know like in class if you're teaching people here's the answers and here's what to say here's how you respond to these questions here's what you say if you see this question on the test um you know is that teaching people just to always give the answer that they think people want to hear um should we be teaching critical thinking more is i guess what i'm asking you do you think there's that there's something to the way we teach people to live. Yeah, I think yes. Uh, and fortunately, I think it's something that is not that hidden that people do have access to. But I think it's because the whole thing about the economy is supposed to be that stuff has value and it's supposed to have value to the consumer. Like even if ultimately we're a holder who has invested money up front and expects a return, like, that company still has to have wheels that are turning and the gas in that engine is the customer of whatever they're selling. And I think just inspiring a renewed interest in that, like, oh, if the consumers we're talking about are essentially a species of more critical thinking people, then we can start to combat the inflated value of things that have no value. What are some of those things you think? <clears throat> what do you think people value that have no value? Okay. People value uh, insurance. They value like peace of mind. And like on one level, that should be very fundamental. Like, yes, like hedging losses, planning for the future, all that should be very fundamental. But fundamental to your like emotional experience of the world. Because I think people get in situations where it's like, you know, what are the major industries? Well, they're the industries that keep your money safe, that keep your car insured, your house insured. So these are the things that are hugely pumped up. But like you feel secure. Yeah, but they're pumped up about. by fear. So it's like, I think that it's, it's a balancing act. I don't think that we all need to run around driving with no insurance because we're just powered by the happiness of the universe. Cause I think that there are some short term and medium term goals that you might mess up for yourself there. And, but I think it's like, don't base your happiness on like, Oh, I didn't like, I didn't lose any money today or like nothing happened. You know, yeah. oh, I had an accident, but it was, you know, like that shouldn't be our source of happiness. And like, what I love about that is that the solution is, find a kid and take him to the river and enjoy the river and be like, Hey, we paid six bucks to get in or it was free and we're having a good time. And like just the very, very simple fundamental stuff of humanity, like still works. And that is cool to me. The way that I see insurance a little bit is like, you're paying someone, you're paying someone to take care of something in the future if it happens. So you don't have to. Yeah. Right. It's something that you don't have to worry about planning for. You don't have to worry about taking care of if it happens. It's just you ain't got to worry about it, and you can throw money at that, 
to make that concern of yours go away. Or if you're like me and you grew up in the woods hunting squirrels and eating snakes and you just did everything yourself, you the concept is alien to you and you're like, well, if something happens, I'll just have to take care of it. Right. Figure it out, (laughs) you know. And and I'm not, you know, sometimes I don't even worry about it until it happens because I'm like, if that happens, then that, that'll be terrible and I'll just have to figure it out, I guess. And that's how I look at insurance a little bit. Like, I don't drive around uninsured either, um, but I do have a vehicle with just liability on it in case I screw up somebody else's car. Like, legally, I have to have that. Right. Um, but if, if, I dam- if my car is damaged or if I'm at fault, or if I run into a pole or something or mm-hmm. I run off the road and... And, and screw up my vehicle then you know either i'll fix it if it's not too bad or shit i guess i'll sell it for scrap you know right I figure it out i don't know but i do believe in future me enough to know that he'll figure something out exactly right? exactly worry about it every single day i still don't ride around thinking oh what if i crash and i don't have any full coverage insurance on my car at some point you have to be confident enough in yourself to know that future you is there to take care of it. He'll figure it out. And you don't even have to think about it yet because he's a smart guy. Beautiful. And that's an elegant answer. Like, that's an attractive answer. Like, because there is, I mean, there is no right answer about that. Like, how can one maintain happiness in a world where things could go wrong? It's like, no, there isn't. But, like, a nice, elegant answer and one that makes sense is like, okay, well, Maybe there's a balance between yeah. making choices now that will protect me in the future, but then also investing in a little bit of like self-empowerment of whatever kind that is, training myself to think critically, training myself maybe to fix a piece of physical equipment, finding that middle ground. Because, yeah, the metric we should be looking at is happiness. You know, how much time do I spend feeling good about myself, feeling like I'm, you know, taking care of things? I'll have to tell my um, talk therapist that you appreciated that because that's who I got it from. She told me that one. Nice. <laughs> I was talking to her about, you know, what I was talking to you about whenever I went went off the deep end on, yeah. you know, like global warfare and what's coming around the corner. And, you know, that's something she she talked to me about that. And I was like, you know what? You're fucking right. I can figure it out if it happens. I don't have to figure it out right now. I don't have to figure out 3,000 things right now. So take them as they come. Yeah. Is that LBX in the bunk in the background there, man? What's he? Is yeah, he okay? Yeah, actually, that might be. Maybe maybe this can be our our outro since we're already uh, we're already ninety minutes deep into this thing. Maybe we'll get some. We'll go to the tree nut gallery and we'll just see if they want. Oh man, yeah, Rogan ain't got nothing on us. We do long oh, yeah. long form interviews too. Oh yeah. Well, okay. So maybe we should maybe we should pick some kind of out there topic that we can we can bring to them. What do you think? Hmm. Okay. Well, there's the. Um, how about UFOs? Oh, per- okay, perfect. Yeah, so okay. So <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna hit him with a premise. Hey guys, you want to be on the show? You're breaking up now, dude. You might not want to go into that room. Uh-huh. I think that you just lost connection, Mr. Stern. I'm going to wait for you to come back, though, before we talk about... I wonder if this is still recording. 
even though I can't hear you. Should I talk about UFOs myself? To myself? You know, the Pentagon just admitted that uh, there's UFOs. And because of everything else that's going on this year, nobody cares. It's like, oh, yeah, UFOs? We kind of knew that already. Thanks for confirmation. But no, they literally, like, yeah, these videos are real. We have no idea what they are. And it's either uh, a foreign nation that's made advancements, leaps in technology, or it's aliens. It's, it's one of those two things. So I think that should be getting a lot more attention on the news cycle than the Republican National Convention or the Democratic one right now, because, dude, that's either terrifying or terrifying, one or the other. Are you back yet? Hello, hello.